I think I was just looking for that opportunity to where I was the man and I wasn't working for the man. Hey, this is Heath Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 180. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs or people whose businesses touch the RV space in some form or fashion. And that definitely describes today's guest in more ways than one. Howard Hoover is the founder of RV Loft. A few years ago, all Howard wanted to do was get his RV out of the elements in indoor storage. This should be a simple request, except that RV storage has been booming over the last few years. I know this from experience. When Alyssa and I put our Winnebago in storage last fall, we could not find anywhere in the greater Dallas area that actually had covered storage, not even indoor, but just covered. It's an expensive purchase, and you don't want to just leave it out in the elements. And Atlanta, Howard searched and searched for indoor storage for his RV, but he couldn't find a single opening for covered motorhome storage. And when he called up U-Haul, they had a 70-person wait list for indoor storage, and they weren't even bothering adding names to the list. Clearly, there was a booming market for RV storage in the greater Atlanta area. And being an entrepreneur, Howard saw a major opportunity here, not just for an empty lot full of parked RVs like most storage facilities, but a climate-controlled warehouse that protected RVs from the elements and actually provided additional services. So began the RV loft. In today's episode, Howard takes us through this whole process from coming up with the idea for the RV loft all the way to putting a lease down on his first building and everything that took place to get to that point and eventually now as he's working to expand RV loft into multiple locations. One of the things I loved most about this episode was how Howard did not hesitate when he saw this need. He didn't think about it for a year. He didn't overanalyze it. He saw and he felt with such conviction that RV storage was a massive need, so he acted. And that's something that I took away from this episode and I've thought about quite a bit. I'm so excited for you guys to get to hear today's interview with Howard Hoover. And one thing I did want to mention really quick before diving into this episode with Howard is that we recently released tickets for our fourth annual RV Entrepreneur Summit. It's a four-day business conference for RVers that is taking place on March 19th, 2020 in Northern Alabama at Lake Gunnersville State Park. We have workshops, main stage sessions, meetups, and it's a really awesome chance to get to meet like-minded people who are building unique businesses as they travel the country in their RV. Would love to see you there. If you want to learn more, you can go to therventrepreneur.com to check out some of our speakers and dates and all of that good stuff. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Howard. Howard, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is so funny. I, I actually, I don't even remember how I first came across the RV loft, but I know we got to meet last year at GNR, which is Winnebago's like yearly conference they've been doing for a very long time. But you're you're currently have a couple like several different things that you're doing. When we when we hung out, you were driving a country music star across the country, kind of like you know being being the bus driver. But you also started this really cool in person business that you have, and now you have two locations called the RV Loft, which is and you'll you'll give a better description than me for this, but kind of high end RV storage where you don't just you know, park under an overhead, but you go inside, you'll clean the rigs, take care of service and things like that. So people can come back and pick them up. So you're doing all these different kind of things. When you first meet somebody, how do you describe what you do? I describe, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> we own a indoor RV storage facility and it's a concierge type service. Like you had described, we park it, we wash it, we take care of it. Storage care convenience is the uh, the motto that we run by. 
And I came up with that because when I bought my RV, everything that I had to do to take care of it was a pain in the butt. And when we came up with a business idea, I wanted to offer everything that was a solution for me. I figured if I wanted it, 100 people wanted it. And so I tell people that's, you know, that's our main core business. And then the RV has created opportunities for me in primarily in transportation of, like you said, I drove a country music artist on tour from New York to San Francisco and back two summers in a row. And now I drive a band, local Atlanta bands out on their tour. And that for me is, you know, it's, it's fun to tell people, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on tour with a country music artist. And uh, you know, they're all, oh, that's cool. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> and then I do some corporate functions where I set up the RV at corporate tailgates. I didn't know this stuff was going to happen when I bought the RV. It just all kind of falls in your lap as you go along and opportunities present themselves. And if you're an entrepreneur, what you do is you execute on those opportunities or you let them fall by the wayside and go to the next thing that comes up. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like you've kind of capitalized on a lot and then some. So you bought your RV back in 2015 based in Atlanta and you were trying to find a place to store it and you couldn't. So that's kind of what spun off the whole RV loft idea. But what were you doing before this that you were able to kind of just dive into this whole new business? Because I imagine finding a large space and starting, you know, an in-person business of this size is not kind of like something that you do overnight. <laughs> now, in my prior life, as I like to call it, I was the CFO for a technology company here in Atlanta. Had spent probably five years with them in office, you know, full time. And then I had just branched out on my own and converted over to a consulting role. So they were, I had two or three clients. They were my largest client. So I did outsourced CFO consulting. So I did have some flexibility with my schedule to take this idea and run with it. And like you said, I, I bought my RV in August of 15. So we're now at the four year mark. And I wanted to store it indoors and I wanted to take care of it. And nobody in Atlanta was doing indoor RV storage at the time. I couldn't find anything. Most of the public storage facilities, I started doing some research. I said, I want to at least have it covered, right? I can get it so it's out of the sun. I've got a black RV with a glossy and a matte black finish. The sun would just tear it up if it sat outside. And so looking at covered parking, all these public storage places were full. And I remember the day, it's probably almost four years to this day, I walked into this one U-Haul facility. The lady said, I got 70 people on the wait list. I'm not taking any more names. And I literally called my brother-in-law. I said, hey, come to the office right now. We're going to whiteboard this out. I have an idea. And within the hour of walking out of the U-Haul place, it was just down the street from my office, we had whiteboarded out what we thought this business should look like. Wow. And you're, I mean, you're a, you're a CFO. So I imagine that you immediately went to the numbers of this whole equation. So what was on that whiteboard? Well, on the whiteboard were requirements, right? What's important to somebody that has an RV? We wanted to be near a major interstate, right? Nobody wants to travel two hours to pick up their RV and two hours back to get on the major interstate. So through Atlanta, I-75 is a major corridor. I-85 is another major one. And since we live on, you know, Atlanta's fragmented. We wanted to be on the 75 side. It's where we live. It's easier to get to. So within a mile of being off of I-75 was important to us. And then when you run the numbers, we knew that we couldn't pay more than 475 a foot on a rental space. Maybe five, but 475 was kind of where we pegged it because 
we had much lower pricing then also. We In our initial model, we severely underpriced the service offering. I think we were at $8 a foot at the time when we modeled it out. Now I think we're at nine fifty a foot. And I still have customers every day that tell me, you don't charge enough. <laughs> and so going on to that, it was finding a big enough space, right? Because for this to work, you need the, the mass space to be able to fit as many units in, for it to be able to support salaries and for us to be able to make money. So 50,000 square feet was one of the key things on that whiteboard. 50,000 square feet within a mile of a major interstate, 475 or less. Those were the numbers to us that were important that we, those were like the top three things that we had to focus on. And when you say 475, it's 475 per square foot. Is that kind of how it works whenever you're leasing or, or buying a warehouse? Yeah. So for example, like a 54,000 square foot building at 470 a foot, it's going to cost you about $19,000 a month. From $19,000 a month, you then determine how many, how much linear feet do I have in that warehouse, right? And so we, we created what the parking spaces should be from a length and distance from a from a width perspective. So we knew we could have, say, 10 lanes of 11 feet. Then you calculate of those 10 lanes, how many linear feet you have. You multiply that linear feet times your rate you're going to charge your customers and compare that to what you're going to pay in rent. And that's going to determine, can you make money off this facility or not? Gotcha. And so when you were looking at 50,000 square foot warehouse, did you do you remember how many RVs you thought you could fit in there? We never thought about the number of units because... It changes month to month. It's like a big game of Tetris for us. Yeah. We park everything. So one month we may have a bunch of 45-footers, and they might leave and we might replace it with a bunch of 25-foot leisure vans. And then the next month we might have 14-foot travel trailers. So we didn't gauge it based on how many we could park on there. It was more important to us, how many linear feet can we fit in here using 11-foot-wide parking lanes? That's the important number to us. Yeah, you got 11 feet because that's kind of the average width or or what? You know, an RV is going to have a, an average width of, I think, 96 inches because, you know, the lanes on the highway right. are registered right. with how wide you can be. And so then you've got mirrors and you've got doors that need to open and you need to leave a little space to be able to walk through. And so we just literally took the measurement of my RV and then added, I think, 10 inches or a foot on each side to come up with what we thought was a reasonable amount of width park an RV. All right. So you had this idea, you called up your brother-in-law, you said, and you whiteboarded this whole thing out, kind of the dimensions and, and what the, the you know potential revenue could look like and location where it needed to be. So what did you do after that? Were you guys like, okay, this could be a good idea. And you know, like, but let's think about it because it's a big, <laughs> it's a, it's a big deal to kind of jump into this. Or did you immediately start going to look at potential locations? We immediately acted on the idea. <laughs> We, we just felt like we had something. We've got something here. You know, it's that one idea I've been looking for my whole life. And, you know, it's something that's of interest to me. Having just gotten into the RV world, really knew nothing about RVs that early on. Uh, you know, I just bought my first RV. I bought a 40-foot diesel pusher my first time in, knowing nothing about RVs. and uh, But I knew that I wanted it so bad and when I did the numbers, I said, you know, all we need is 150 other people that want this. Because that's probably how many you're going to fit in a 50,000 square foot warehouse. You might get 150 units. So all we got to find is 150 customers. That can't be hard. Mm. And, you know, being a CFO, I've served lots of different roles at the company I was at for the seven years. Uh, you know, I was interim CEO. I managed sales. I've managed marketing. I've took on other departments at the time. So 
I feel like I had that advantage of knowing how to market, knowing how to write a business plan, knowing how to sell, and knowing the numbers. The numbers were important, and that's important when you talk to anybody that's going to lease you space, anybody's going to lend you money. Knowing your business model is so critical, and knowing the numbers in there, you know, they're vetted, they make sense. You can explain them, you have logic behind them, and you can convey them to somebody that they can go, yeah, that makes sense to me. Linear foot times that. And that's how many you can fit. And I get it. So yeah, we ran with it. We ran with it. I called up one of my local brokers that I work with here in Atlanta. And I said, here, this is what we're going to do. This is my requirements of space we're looking for. Let's find some space. And so the process started. Were you looking to buy or lease a building for this? We wanted to lease first because we just weren't entirely sure. You know, there was that little, little bit of doubt as to whether we could pull this off. And we didn't want to be stuck with a building at the time. Yeah. And so I said, let's lease first and see how that goes. Gotcha. And with leasing something like this, I imagine you have to kind of work out with the business, the whoever owns the building. It's like, hey, we've got a lot of rigs stored in here. You can't just like come and get your building back at any time or sell it off to somebody else. I'm assuming you had to like make sure you found the right owner who was cool with you running this type of business there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually, it's actually a funny story because we looked at 35, 40 properties and we fell in love with probably 15 of them and we got 15 no's. Wow. Not one person was interested in our business model. How come? A lot of them were these REITs and they understand and they know warehousing. They understand and they know manufacturing. They understand and they know assembly. They have no idea what RV storage is. They just didn't get it. They didn't get the model. They didn't get the business. We were a startup, right? We didn't have any business history. And so it, it was it was a struggle for several months into, you know, that was end of August, September, October, two months of looking, dead end, dead end, dead end. No, 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 no. We kept getting no's. And in fact, I was about ready to just write the idea off. I was so just disenchanted with the whole process. And I felt, you know, I felt failure, right? We, nobody gets us. We can't do this. It's not going to work. And my broker, you know, he stuck with it. He found this gem of a property and we went out to meet the owner of the building and it was a family owned business, which was good. It wasn't a corporate company. It wasn't an REIT. We were there with the decision maker that day. And the first thing he said is, you know what? I've got an Airstream. Hmm. This model makes perfect sense. I get it. And that's when I knew this is it. This is the one we're going to get. Yeah. And lo and behold, we signed a deal on that building. Oh, I love it. Does the building owner store his Airstream with you guys? <laughs> he stored it with us for a while and then he ended up selling it. Oh, okay. Um, after, after about it. he stored it for about a year and then he sold it and bought a horse trailer that had a bedroom set up, I guess, in half the trailer and horses in the back, because that's what they used it for, which go to horse shows. Yeah, everyone's got different needs for being on the road. Yep. Uh, <laughs> with yep. uh, Some people carry horses, some people carry kids, some people carry dogs that look <laughs> like horses. So you bought the RV and maybe three or four months later, ended up starting this whole separate business that I'm assuming was not even on your radar, right? Is that kind of the correct. timeline? That is absolutely correct. That kind of blows my mind because, I mean, so many people... I think timing's probably a big factor too. I'm assuming you had to have a little you had to have some type of capital to foot whatever financial runway this building needed from a lease perspective and you had to have the freedom built up and the skills and all that. So timing was a big part of this. 
But on the flip side, it probably would have been pretty easy for you to see this opportunity and kind of say, well, maybe it makes sense and kind of push it off. I, I guess what, what, what gave you so much conviction during this time? I've always had a bug inside of me to, you know, run my own business. You know, I worked in the corporate world for 20 plus years and now, you know, I'd never go back. I, now I can tell you I hated working in the corporate world and probably didn't know it at the time, probably didn't understand it as much at the time. But I think I was just looking for that opportunity to where I was the man and I wasn't working for the man. And I felt like this was it. I really was convinced when we whiteboarded that out and we ran the numbers and I was just convinced this is what I want to do with my life. I love that. So you started the RV Loft. Really great name, by the way. Thank you. And I know you also store like motorcycles and cars and things like that. But really, I know that the main idea was RVs and you pay per linear foot. Like you said, it's 950 right now. So you can bring your RV in, you guys will wash it. So you can bring it in after a road trip, especially most people don't full time, you know, who own an RV. So to be able to go drop it off, get it washed, get it serviced and things like that. I want to dig into kind of more of some of the business end of that too, because I'm interested to hear how you guys make that the economics behind the service side work, like maybe what's included. So we'll get to that in a minute. But then what happened after that? Like you guys signed the lease and then what? We signed the lease. The tenant was in the building month to month. So they had 60 days to get out. So we signed the lease. I want to say like mid November. So December, January, about the February timeframe, we could get ourselves into the building. There was some work that had to be done. They had to do some paving in the parking lot. And so we got in, we could get in in February and then our lease was supposed to start April 1st. So he's going to give us like a month and a half of doing prep work. We got in April 1st. We negotiated two months free rent. So we have to pay rent for April or May. So our rent didn't start until June of that year. So we spent those 60 days trying to figure out how in the world are we going to fill this building up? <laughs> I just signed my, my life away to pay $19,000 a month for a big empty warehouse. So the first order of business, you know, I was still consulting, doing my consulting business at the time. So I started to shed a couple of the clients down and try to get to a manageable number, you know, where I could still, you know, support the family and make money on my consulting gig and have some time to focus on getting this up and running. And so our first order of business was to get, you know, the capital, which my wife and I, you know, we were able to put money in. We did a 401k self-directed uh, rollover into a C-Corp to get it started. So you're really putting a lot. Yeah on the line to make this thing happen. We put retirement on the line to make this happen. And then we realized we needed some more capital. And my father-in-law spoke up and said, hey, I'm interested. And so we did a deal and got them involved. So they were part owners in the business. And then our first order business, my brother-in-law, you know, he was the first employee we hired. And uh, his background was in he worked at a print shop. He's a graphic artist, graphic design. He's the one that came up with the RV loft and all of our logos and all of our marketing materials. And so we hired him during those 60-day notice period and that that stub period where you know we had the building but didn't pay to uh, ramp up all of our marketing materials, build a website, find us leads. We signed up for a RV trade show in Atlanta that happened, I think, in the, the March, subsequent March of that year, you know, two months before we opened. And we went down to the trade show. We had a great booth. We met lots of people. We got a ton of leads from it. We went around to all the dealerships in Atlanta. Atlanta's got 
probably 12 RV dealers in this area just because I mentioned before, it's so fragmented and getting around here, it's not easy. So I went around to every dealership and introduced myself. So, hey, this is what we got going on. If you need, you know, when you get when you get the block on your sales pitch to somebody, I have nowhere to store it, you tell them our name and we'll take care of you. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that was a funny story too because, you know, having been in the corporate world, like the first place I went to, they didn't let me see the GM. I wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah, you know, I talked to the secretary. I talked to, you know, assistant sales manager. I didn't get to the person I wanted to get to at the first dealership I went to. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I, I didn't feel that was successful. So I went to the next dealership and I stopped at a pizza place next to the dealership and I bought ten pizzas. Walked in the door, said who I was. I had some pizzas. Want to talk to the GM? I went straight to his desk. Because you. You brought pizza? I brought pizza in. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Food is such a path to people's attention. And so it worked. And I know that because in the corporate world, when people brought me food, I was happy. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you. You brought me some food. Great. (laughs) And it worked. So every dealership I went to, I'd bring in ice cream cakes. I'd bring in Chick-fil-A. I'd bring in pizza. I'd bring something and I'd send them cookies just to build that relationship and have that name in the back of their mind. And there's a particular dealership here in Atlanta I'm not kidding if they've sent us 20 customers. Wow. They send everybody our way. And, you know, every six months, eight months or so, I'll send over a little care package of uh, goodies for them, and they keep sending us leads. I so love you, it. So you paid 50 bucks for pizza and 20x that return <laughs> over over the past year. Yeah, the ROI on the, I, that one actually was an ice cream cake. I remember that one very specifically. That it is... was a it was a twenty nine dollar ice cream cake from Dairy Queen, and it's turned into probably twenty customers of recurring revenue for years. I mean, it, the ROI is just <laughs> you can't even begin to fathom the number on that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so you open your doors after that sixty day period, and yep. you have pretty high overhead with nineteen thousand dollars a month. That's that's yeah. no joke. So, <laughs> did you guys have an idea of what the runway looked like? As far as like, if we don't have X number of rigs in here by X date, we're, we're done. Yeah, we knew we had about six months of runway. In six months, we would know if we were going to make it or not, because that was all the runway we'd want to spend. Yeah. I specifically remember like the first day we opened, me standing in this big empty warehouse going, how am I going to get $20,000 a month out of this place? <laughs> it was quite daunting at the time. Yeah, so what happened? Like, when did you get your first customer? Our first customer, we opened May 26th of 2016. Our first customer moved in literally like that Saturday. Wow. And how did they find out about you? Oh, gosh. Where did we? He found us on the on our website, actually, on a Google search. Really? Okay. So, you're, yep. so you guys had done a good job of already kind of ramping up the SEO juice. And there were so many people searching for it in Atlanta and just going yep. through the pages that you did a good job of meeting that demand already. That's right. awesome. Yeah. So we did an analysis of, of the search term inside, you know, indoor RV storage, inside storage. We, we looked at all the Google reports you can find to see how many people are looking for it. How many searches are there per day and what are the words they're looking for? And so we kind of, you know, we built our website around those key phrases that people were searching for and the traffic, you know, there's probably a hundred, I think we figured there was a hundred to 150 searches a day. For somebody looking for RV storage. Specifically indoor or just RV storage? Just, just, just RV storage. So we're like, okay, there's 100 people a day at least looking for it. So let's tailor our website so we capture those key phrases somewhere in it. 
so that our SEO builds. And then we bought some Google ads when we initially started. We spent money on Google ads maybe for five months, and we haven't spent a dime on it since then. Hmm. And so, yep, first customer came in, then our second customer came in. We got him through the trade show that we had signed up for earlier in March. He's still with us to this day. Customer number one sold his trailer, and the funny thing is, our first customer bought, bought this trailer, moved in. You know, actually, he came from a dealership. That's where his lead came from. He was a dealer guy. He came from the dealership, bought his trailer, moved in, never used it for two years, sold it, and moved out. Wow. Hey, great customer for, for yeah. a storage facility. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we love the ones that don't move. Yeah. So 100 and 150 people searching just in Atlanta for RV storage. That's pretty crazy. So you open up and you have six months. And then what happened at six months? Were you guys full? We were full at 10 months. Wow. At so, six months, we were trying to figure out what we were doing. But you, <laughs> but you had enough coming in that yeah. you, you could kind of get to that point. And at 10 months, you were completely full. Wow. So at six months, my wife and I had to put maybe $10,000 into the business. And that was the only time we put money in up until when we did the acquisition of this building last year. Mm. We never had, so we made it six months, put $10,000 in. We didn't put any more money in from that point forward. At six months, we were pretty much far along. And then at 10 months, we were full. And then like any business that, you know, <laughs> I was an accountant. My brother was a graphic design. We had no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So then after 10 months, it was like, oh my gosh, we're full. We don't know what, we got to figure this out. You know, we had to figure out scheduling, moving, learning about all the different RVs. Where's your cutoff switch? You know, we don't want people's batteries to die. People asking us to help them, right? That's the biggest thing I found in this business. People need help with their RVs. These things break. They don't work. They don't know how they work. They don't spend the time to figure out how things work. And so... We're trying to manage all this, and we didn't have a, you know, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't know, we didn't know, right? So ten months in, we we're like, okay, we need to figure this out, and we had to get procedures in place, and we had to figure out how we were going to do it, and we spent about a year trying to adjust to what it was like to be full, because we thought there's no way we should just keep going at this point. We've got to get our arms around this before mm-hmm. we decide to take the next step. Yeah, and so right now, when somebody comes and drops off their rig, what happens? So you come in, drop off your rig. We're going to, depending on what condition it's in, say you just came back from Florida and you're covered in love bugs, we're going to clean the front of it off and get all the bugs off. If your sides, side rails are real dirty, we'll hose it off and get those off. But we're going to definitely get the bugs off the front, and then we're going to park it. And depending on, you know, some people pay to have a 24-hour electric hookup. So we may plug you in. If not, we'll kill your battery, make sure all your storage base are locked, lock the doors, park it, we're done with it. Now, the next time you want to go out on a trip, if you give us 24 hours notice, like we like to say, the day before you go out, we'll pull it out, we'll plug it in, we'll turn on the fridge, we'll check the tire pressure, we're going to clean the outside of the RV, clean the windows, clean the sides, give it a good washing, it's going to come out of there looking, you know, I've got RVs that have been here for three years, they look brand new, because we wash them every time they use them. And so, that's how we prep the RV for somebody that's leaving on a trip. Fridge is ready, tire pressure is checked. The RV is clean as a whistle. Mm. Do you have people that are dropping it off and also saying like, hey, I need to get this mechanical thing checked out? What happens then? Do they need to go take it to the 
obviously the mechanic or something like that and then bring it back to you guys or is that what you mean when you're trying to figure out how to say how to help those help the customers right. so initially what we did is we had a dealership here in town that we would partner with and we say hey we got this problem can we bring it up to you and we'd drive we on behalf of the customer we'd drive their rv up to the rv dealership leave it there they'd fix on it they'd work it they'd bring it back and then you know we got to thinking why don't we just do it here why don't we just hire our own mechanic that can do repair work here and so we by chance a guy walked into our facility and he said hey i'm a mobile mechanic and i hate being on the road you guys need somebody that can be here and work match made in heaven (laughs) so now he's there on site and if people have issues he can just work on the rig right there correct and that that is not inclusive right because there's no way you guys could know what you need to charge so that's just a normal hourly but it happens to be right there so you don't have to worry about picking it up and dropping it off Right. You don't have to take it to, you know, one particular RV dealer that we all know and have it sit for three months because that's typically what would happen when people would, you know, not the one that we would use, but there's another one here in town. People would go there and it would sit for three to six months before it got repaired. Yeah. Here, it's funny now. It's like people come in, drop the keys and say, fix this and this, charge the car and they walk out. There's no, I need an estimate. There's no, give me a quote. There's no nothing. It's just do it. Yeah. It's just, just fix it. And that's, that's what I've learned, you know, you know, talking about how people need help. This guy that uh, I've been working with, he bought a brand new American coach. And sadly, he got one that had a uh, lot rot. You know, a lot. Of, it sat for two years on the lot. A lot of things weren't working. It's a $500,000 coach, right? Mm. All he wants is it for it to work. That's all. And that's, what, that's all he cares about. He didn't want me to explain anything. Just just make it work and just charge me. You know, that was his attitude. And that's an attitude with a lot of our customers is, you know, we've built up, I think, enough trust with them and our pricing is good. They're just like, just fix it. Just get it done and fix it. Yeah. When Alyssa and I came back from Canada this past fall, we put our Winnebago in storage for a few months when we listed it for sale. And it, I couldn't get covered storage in the Dallas area near where we were living. And so I had to put it out for, and it wasn't a long-term thing. So it wasn't that big of a deal for me, but you know, you're spending a lot of money on this coach and everything. So I guess one thought that I had is with this particular storage facility, he was completely full, but he lived next door and there wasn't enough kind of unit economics for him to be like full-time on this thing. He was kind of semi-retired. And so there was nobody else. It was kind of like you come as you go type thing with kind of the traditional RV storage or any storage facility, it's usually kind of a passive type of investment. So I guess how have you guys made, and you don't have to get into specifics if you don't want to, if you, if you want to, sure. I guess what I'm just curious about is like, how have you made the unit economics work of a storage facility where you can afford to have a full-time staff? Right. Well, all along, like when we initially wrote the business plan, we knew that rent's going to pay the rent. We could sit here and have this building and we could put car, you know, RVs in it and it would pay the rent and we'd make some money off of it. But if we wanted to make really good money, we had to offer some kind of service. At the time of writing the business model, we didn't know what that service was. And we had a line in there called service. We just got to figure out what that is. Could that be (laughs) detailing? Could it be, you know, wax jobs? Could it be RV inspections, you know, pre-purchase inspections? I went to an RVIA training class and became a certified level two RV inspector. We did all the things we thought we needed to do to build up to where we could find out what it is was going to fit that line item on our business model that was called service. And that was how it was going to, to your point, 
storage is passive. It's just it's just going to generate some revenue. But if what I wanted to do is make it more personable to people, it's again storage, care, convenience. It's going beyond just the storage. It's caring. We want to take care of it. We want it to be easy for people because when they love it and it's easy and we take care of things, they don't leave. Our yes. attrition rate is so small for customers. You know, customers don't leave because they're not happy with the service. Customers leave because they've left the RV world. They've sold their RV. Yeah. It was, you know, it took us a while to figure out what that service was going to be. And then when this mechanic walked in, we we're like, okay, this is it. This is this is how we can make the money that we put in that business plan of what that nut is that we wanted to make. And so we went move forward with him. And in fact. I've probably shadowed him for a year doing repair work myself. I quit my corporate job in end of March 2018. And I spent from April of last year, April this year, I just shadowed him because I wanted to learn. There was enough work that he couldn't keep up. One person couldn't keep up. And we weren't advertising outside of the storage customers. It was our customer base. We couldn't keep up. Wow. And so I shadowed him for a year and I started learning. I started learning about air conditioning. I started learning about... LP systems. I started learning about electricity. I started learning about engines. I started doing oil changes. I got into the mix of what we were doing because I felt that I could get a better grip on what we could offer if I knew what the effort was. Right. And I think that's that's kind of that's a mindset of a personality of an entrepreneur, right? You, I think I even saw it in in a prior podcast that you done. It might have been um, Eric Johnson or Eric said it that. Uh, you're so in tune with the business, you want to do everything yourself. <laughs> yeah. Something along those lines, right? That's what I wanted to do everything myself so I could understand how do we price it? How do we make money on it? How do I know that my mechanic is giving me good estimates of time? How do I know the effort to get into this stuff? And so I spent a year doing it. And now, you know, when I need to, I roll my sleeves up. I did a couple of oil changes last week. I'll do whatever it needs to do to help push the service piece along when we've got that influx of work to be done. I can imagine that it's a more low-key service experience than if you were to go into, you know, a lot of service shops across the country because if you've ever been in those, it's usually a little chaotic. There's a ton of people in and out. There's a lot of, I guess, maybe the urgency is coming from customers because it's like, hey, I need my rig back. And, yeah. you know, there's that, that high level of urgency and all this kind of stuff. And there's not usually a good feeling associated with service. It's like, especially maybe it's more like on the full-time side. If you're part-time, it's probably not as much level of urgency. But to be able to drop it off and know that it's taken care of, it's completely indoors and not have to drive it to and from. Right. I think you guys can charge way more for what you're doing, by the way. <laughs> it's like a whole other note. I know. <laughs> I see the value there in, in a in a meaningful way. So right now, if if I have like a forty five foot rig, that's running about four hundred ten bucks a month. Is that right? Forty five rig is gonna be like uh like four oh five a month. Yeah, you're about right. Yeah, okay, yep. gotcha. I was just curious. So yeah. I mean to me the value is like what you do on the day where First of all, if you get a rig clean at that size, it's probably going to be two or 300 bucks. I would think if you go, if you take it to like a detail shop. So that in itself is super valuable. And to be able to take it out, run through all the systems the day before picking it up, that's like a whole nother day of, of work. And especially if they're kind of part time and maybe there's only a week that they have off, you know, that's a whole day for them that they're able to go do their trip or whatever because you guys took care of that. So it's a really good, yeah. I think it's a great value proposition. 
Yeah. I have several people tell me we don't charge enough. <laughs> yeah. Especially just what some of the storage facilities are charging yeah. who don't have a air conditioning indoor building who also take care of all the other service side of it. But yeah. you're filled up in 10 months. Then you spent another year kind of figuring out what that line item of service looks like. And then you decided that you were going to open up another location. Our phone was ringing off the hook and we had no space. We actually, we leased. So we did a temporary lease of a 25,000 square foot warehouse, like around the corner from us. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, we have ebbs and flows summertime. It's not as busy wintertime. We fill up and it was wintertime. So we leased some, some overflow space. We sold that out in like a week. And so and then the phone was ringing off the hook and we're like, we've got to do something. We've got to find more space. And so we kicked off a search to purchase a property. We found a property that was right across, literally almost right across the street from where we are now. 100,000 square foot facility on six acres. Started negotiating. They walked away from the table. They had some business issues. They came back. They walked away from the table. They came back. They walked away. And then the third time they walked away, we had another building pop up that our our broker found you know the same guy that found us the building first building we were in and we went over we looked at it and we made an offer the same day wow. as the crow flies is about a half mile from our current facility it's just on it's on the east side of i-75 so we have the east side and the west side of i-75 covered you get off at the same exit you go left to get to one building go right to get the other they're both equally as far off the highway and how long have you had that one now we closed on august 23rd of 18 so that was about a year ago the person that was a prior owner stayed in it till the end of September. We took over October 1st and we had to retrofit the building to work for our business needs because it, there was no drive-in doors. It was dilapidated. It wasn't cared for. It was a, it was a five. We got it for, for cheap. We got a really good deal on the building because of the shape it was in. So we brought in a construction company to, we took out all the dock doors. We built ramps that go up into the dock doors, took the levelers out to get the clearance so we can fit a 13 foot RV through the door. We tore some outside, uh, an outside building down. It's like 2000 square feet. We demoed internal office space. We put in 20 or so 50 amp plugins all along the backside of the building so we can have plugs for everybody that are in the building. So we spent from October until March getting the building in shape so that we could start to move RVs into this facility. And then we started taking deposits. We had a lot of reservations. Then we decided, you know, we never took deposits before. And, you know, we probably had a 80% conversion rate of a reservation that where they actually showed up and 20% maybe never showed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to help kind of solidify our feeling of having the second location, let's, let's get a deposit. Let's get people that are serious and boom, deposits started coming in left and right, left and right. And then we opened the doors here on April 1st. So we're now April, May, June, July, five months in and we're 62% occupied. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. So and you, I have enough deposits. I've left. I've got probably forty people that have left a deposit with me. So if they all showed up tomorrow, <laughs> I'd probably be full. <laughs> wow! I'm like getting ready to like go Google basically who's searching RV storage in different cities and start calling around and being like, "Hey, how, how full are you?" Kind of thing. Do you have aspirations to like take this and kind of go across the country, or are you happy being in Atlanta? Like, what do, what do you want to do with RV Loft? I would like to move across the country. I think in order to do that, though, I think we'd have to follow a franchise model. It would just be, there's, 
it's such a hand. I want it to be such a hands-on business, mm-hmm. right? I want that experience for people to be amazing. I want them to love the RV loft. And so to get people engaged to want to deliver that level of service, I think you'd have to go the franchise route. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. it'll be interesting because I almost wish like there's been a lot of times where now that we have to like fly for a trip or like if we want to go internationally where I wish there was an easy option to be able to like drop our rig into somewhere and stay for now. We just like paid for campgrounds when those types of things have come up. But I don't know if our indoor RV storage will ever be for somebody who needs to go in for two weeks or whatever, but I just see so much application. There's so much demand. I heard a stat. I don't know if it's true. Currently we're, we're trending for like RVs, actual physical RVs to outnumber campsites something like two to one or three to one again i could could be totally pulling that out of my butt but it is interesting and and how many have been purchased and not enough infrastructure to park them both in campgrounds or in storage so it just seems like there's a huge opportunity i was on facebook the other i don't know the other week and there's a public storage company out there can't remember who it was extra space or somebody they had posted a story about covered RV parking. And I'm not kidding you. There must have been 700 comments on their posting. And you know what these comments were? Do you have anything in this zip code? Do you have anything in this zip code? Do you wow. have anything in this zip code? Do you have any? And I was looking at this going, oh, my gosh. This is, people just want this everywhere. And it wasn't, you know, this was a national. They were, I started looking at the zip codes. Where are these people? Where are they located? And they were all across the country. Yeah. To your point, there's just the infrastructure is not there to support it. How do we get more money into this, Howard? How can we make this happen? We've had people knocking on the door <laughs> trying to give us money. Really? That's awesome. <laughs> we have had no problems raising capital. And so, in fact, when we opened, so when we opened this building, we did a capital raise. And we looked externally first at some people and had some discussions and we put out a private placement uh, offering and a memorandum and, and we ended up just keeping it in the family. We added a few more family members So the family members stepped up and said, Hey, I want in, I want to be part of this. And so we didn't have to go to any external investors. We kept it all within the family. We brought in my brother, we brought in my wife's brother. We brought in my sister's husband through a self-directed IRA we had plenty of money to purchase the building and all set up for them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I cool. want to comment on another, the, yeah. the, the point about going on the trips, you know, we do that here because we're near the largest hub, you know, of flights in the U.S. and in the Atlanta airport. And so we very often get people that would call up and say, hey, I'm going to go to Europe for three weeks. Can I leave my RV with you? Sure. We'll take you in. We can, you know, we're kind of like an airline. We can oversell our occupancy because not everybody's here all the time. Mm. People are out using their RVs. And so I can run at 110%, 120%, somewhere in that range, 110, 120% sales and only be 95% full because there's always somebody out using their RV. And so we can accommodate the people that are going on these trips. Yeah, that that's awesome. Last question for you, Howard, is I've been asking this at the end of each episode, but what's the biggest thing that you've learned in the past year? It could be pertains to the RV loft or, or something else, but just kind of the biggest thing that you've been learning. The biggest thing that I've learned is, gosh, I, I gotta, there's two really that I'm kind of thinking of. One is never turn down an opportunity to make money. 
if you don't know how to do it, figure it out. Like for example, somebody came to me and said, oh, I'm thinking of selling my RV. I said, huh, can I sell it for you? It's here. I'm here all the time. I can do the showings for you. I'll run the ads. I'll you know detail it, clean it, prep it, get it all ready, and you give me a 6% commission. Boom, done. I've sold eight RVs in the last eight months. Wow. So don't pass up opportunities and look for those opportunities, right? Some of them, some of them are good ideas. That's a great idea. Consignment sales was great. My other idea, everybody keeps laughing at me, is the fluff and fold. People come back from their trip, offer them the opportunity to, we'll wash all your linens for you and fold them up, put them back in the RV. Maybe something somebody wants, maybe not. May not be a big revenue generator, but it just adds more to that stickiness, that feeling yeah. that people get that they want to keep storing with you. And so that's kind of the first one. Don't pass any opportunity up. And the second one is not everybody has the same expectations as you. And I learned that through consignment sales. Some of the RVs I've sold have been dogs and some have been beautiful. And I would just beat myself up over, you know, how clean this one was. Or, you know, I remember a particular one. I really had to work hard to get it clean. It's it just people didn't take care of it at all. The inside. I worked really hard on it. I didn't feel comfortable with it. The couple that came in and bought it, they sat down and they said, this is the most beautiful RV I've ever seen. <laughs> I realized that day that don't beat yourself up over unrealistic expectations, right? I put so much undue stress on myself over something that was nothing to stress about. I did what I needed to do and it satisfied the person that came in and looked at it. There was no need for me you know, to put the stress level I, in, I, I put into it thinking that it wasn't clean enough, it's not good enough, it's not going to sell, they're not going to like it. If you do the job you need to do, it's going to happen. And that was, that, was a, that was a major eye-opening for me a couple months ago when I, I was like, okay, my expectations are, it's, my expectations are way higher than, <laughs> than they need to be, and I don't need to stress out about things as much as I do. That's a wise key learning. Well, yeah. Howard, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. If people want to connect with you online, where's a good place for them to contact you? Howard at RVloft.com is a great way. You can email me. You can also go to our website. We've got a contact me button on there. You can fill out your information and send, uh, send a request in. And those are the two most, most uh, easiest ways to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, man, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to that episode with Howard. If you want to check out some of the links from this episode, you can go to heathandalyssa.com and then click on podcast show notes and you can see every note, every link from every podcast I've ever recorded there. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love to hear from you on Twitter at Heath Paget. Just shoot me a note. I love hearing from you guys on Twitter. I don't know why I've been spending more time on Twitter lately, but it's a fun place to just like talk to people and people that I don't even know. So Twitter is a good place to talk. <laughs> all right, I'll see you all next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. You can just cut all that out. <laughs> this is just random. <laughs> <laughs>